This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Potables, your weekly Jeopardy podcast where two former competitors bring you recaps and analysis of the week's Jeopardy episodes, and usually a deep dive into a topic inspired by one of those episodes and a quiz. I'm Emily. And I'm Kyle. Uh, But this week we're going to be doing things a little bit differently. For one, we're just going to get this right off the bat. We are recording on Sunday evening of November 8th, uh, which means that we received the very sad news of the passing of Alex Trebek this morning. Uh, And we may or may not be addressing that. We haven't super planned that out, but uh, I imagine this episode will probably include more Alex stories than we normally have uh, and in addition to that, we have a guest from this week. This is Devin Rossiter. Uh, go ahead and say hello, introduce yourself. Definitely. How's it going, everybody? Emily, Kyle, thank you so much for having me. I, you know, we, we started talking about, you know, coming on this week and, and you know, recording, obviously, today. Uh, it, it takes on a whole different tone, but I think that, you know, Moving on and, and and kind of reflecting upon this week's episodes in particular, um, it, it's a good way to kind of reflect on the way that you know, Alex was able to to bring his professionalism to the show in, in the face of a lot of challenges. And um, you know what you see was you know really only about six weeks ago. So I, I think that you know it's a good lens into kind of what was going on around that time and. Um, you know, there, there were so many unique things going on around, you know, this week of it, tapings, but also of airing. And, you know, it, it was a really unique moment for all of it to come together. So I'm happy to, to be able to share that. Yeah, well, it's great to have you. Could you um, tell us a little bit about um, what it's like to get onto and be on Jeopardy um, in the pandemic era? Because I know they've made a lot of changes around that. You know, it's funny. It seemed like the entire experience really kind of falls within that window. I mean, I took the anytime test back in January, and then I heard about I heard back about auditioning um, right as the world started shutting down, and so I was one of the first um, auditions to be done via Zoom. So it was myself and Sarah from the Clue Crew one on one. But if you've done video conferencing, you've had the experience of. You show up in the room 10 minutes early before the host is there or they're in another meeting and the time comes and they're still in another meeting and 10 minutes later, they're still in another meeting and you're being very patient. You want to be in the right spot at the right time, but I get an email saying, hey, if you if you aren't going to make it, we can't go forward with the audition. So I'm oh, terrified no. because, oh no, is this how I'm going to lose this opportunity? <laughs> so we email back and forth. I mean, the quintessential Zoom experience for anybody who's had to do one of these. We get on the same page, link up, and then... Yeah, we were able to move forward. So it was just a short interview with Sarah, and then they launched a 50-question quiz, very similar to the online test, but it was only eight seconds, and they recorded me as I took it. So they replicated a board and just read clues aloud, and then they gave me time to think it out. So they looked for not just accuracy, but, you know, did I use all the time to think something off? Did I just pass? Like, how much effort did I go into to put the effort forward to try to draw something out? So I did that in March, and then it was a little bit, but then I heard back for the group audition in June. 
And that was through Zoom as well with eight other contestants. Um, actually, if you remember uh, Scott Shrum from um, the mm -hmm. last week's episode, mm -hmm. he was in on that audition with me as well. So it was a good room. Um, and I was really eager to see how we were going to do the the mock session. I know in the past that I've heard stories about the clicky pen, but I figured since they had the technology remotely that they were going to have to figure something out. Um, like, and, and as an educator, I was like, ooh, is there some sort of like digital remote feature that allows people to buzz in and have it sync up in time? Because I would love to be able to utilize that. Oh, no, yeah. they still did the clicky pen in front of the camera. Like, <laughs> 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 so oh, still very non-scientific. Um, so, you know, we did that and it was very similar, just very quick, um, three questions, full board, nobody kept score. And it really was just more about, um, you know, how everything moved forward and, you know, how well you move the game along. So at that point, I got a very nondescript email a couple of weeks after that, letting me know I was going to be put into the contestant pool for 18 months once they resumed production. They were still on hiatus at that time. And back in um, late July... I heard that they had resumed production, so, you know, I started to get a little antsy because this was also, you know, when they had started to put in a lot of conditions as far as what they would prioritize for the contestants. And I heard that one of the things that they were looking at was the fact that they really wanted to limit it to contestants within the Southern California area. They didn't want anybody flying across the country or an extraneous distance right. to get there to minimize um, COVID. Mm -hmm. And the other thing that I noticed, too, when I applied was that Bakersfield, California was an audition city for the first time probably ever. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that had to be fate. I know, I think the affiliate really wanted to kind of work together with Jeopardy to get more contestants in to help numbers out. So, you know, I, I, I heard that I benefited from that because early August, I got the call. And, you know, the Culver City area code pops up and you start pacing. I was working. I was getting ready for the start of school. So I was just, you know... Um, out of out of operation for that phone call and um you know they gave me the rundown and, and they were you know obviously a lot of the standard stuff um but one of the things they told me was that they wanted to make sure that i have a covid test submitted and turned in negative uh a week before my taping they had tests at the sony lot or i could do my own and they would reimburse me so i, I did my own because i was two hours away uh, and i had a question as far as like okay i i get to go i take a test what if I get a positive result? And they paused. They're like, I don't think we've really thought about that yet. And they let me know <laughs> oh, that. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> so, like, that was a big test. Like, you know, the, the, the 50 questions, well, it was a big one, too. So was this one. Um, <laughs> and so I was waiting. So, I, I, you know, I, I guess if that does happen, they're going to defer people and have them come through later on as mm -hmm. if, you know, if kind of like Zach Newkirk, where, like, yeah, you're still going, but until you can come back, like, we have to defer you. So um, there was that. Um, but you know, it, it was, it was negative. And, um, you know, it's funny too, uh, about a, a week before my episode aired, I get, um, a, a very formal secure, you know, envelope from Jeopardy. And I was on a video call with some students as that was happening. So I, I lit up, I was like, Oh my gosh. And, uh, I opened it up and it's the reimbursement for the COVID test about $150. <laughs> <laughs> hundred um, I shared it with my kids telling them the story and one of my students go, man, taxes hit you hard. <laughs> <laughs> so so they, they had a good sense of humor. But so like the whole process was so different because of the circumstances and then getting onto the set was so different. Having no audience there, having the podium spaced out, even the makeup, like I had to apply my own makeup. 
Oh. Um, oh, wow. Oh, no. My, yeah, yeah. The makeup artist was in full PPE, the gown, the face shield, the mask, and everything. So everybody had their own puff inside of a plastic sheet uh, off to the side. And they gave everybody a, a little baggie with things like um, um, uh, Lysol wipes, uh, a mask. And the only time masks came off was when they were taping the episodes and you were on set. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, everybody, you know, there was no green room. We were all waiting in the Wheel of Fortune audience. So that set was dark, and we were all spaced out there as we went through the audition. Uh, not the audition, the contestant wow. uh, orientation. Like the briefing, yeah. So it was surreal. Yeah, it was surreal being in that room because everything was dark. They had a tarp over the wheel. Mm-hmm. There was a sign that said, do not touch the wheel. <laughs> oh, I and remember that sign. Nobody touched it. It was a very firm sign, yeah. yeah. Um, and so... It was very strange, you know, because, you know, you're there and you're watching everything from the Jeopardy room in the Wheel of Fortune audience. And so, yeah, like, uh, until rehearsal came around, like, that was kind of that kind of off to the side setting. They didn't give anybody lunch and, you know, until you made it. And, and because of the nature of this, you couldn't stick around. So um, once you had lost... You signed your paperwork and you were on your way. You didn't get to stick around to see mm-hmm. how the rest of the episodes went. So, um, you know, a lot of things changed. But as far as getting onto the set and playing the game, it's exactly as you dream about it being when you imagine and anticipate being chosen for the show and actually getting to play. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. I think that's a real testament to the planning and the production team as far as making it feel very nat- as natural as it could with no audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's yeah. crazy. They do a really great job. I um I feel like the the contestant um crew really just makes it a really memorable and positive experience no matter how it goes. Absolutely. It was really yeah. impressive. Um probably the most professionally run uh production I've ever observed or been a part of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I you know I I hear that from other people who have gone and done other like game shows in particular that, you know, Jeopardy is the class act, not to throw shade at any other game shows, but like, you know, other ones you'll show up and you won't necessarily be told what to do or, you know, you'll be kind of left on your own or there's just not the same kind of feel that Jeopardy is is like, it is the peak. Mm-hmm. That's really awesome. All right. Well, man, thank you for that. That that was enlightening and, and it's making me realize how, like how strange that seems to me, even though, you know, the amount of time I have actually spent there is relatively small, (laughs) you know, uh, it just, that seems so weird. That would be so strange. You know, my time was limited to just that one day of taping. Yeah. Um, and I want to say it was the sixth set of tapings that they had done since ramping production back up. So it was still very new to a lot of them. Um, you could tell that a lot of the procedures and protocol, um, were, were, were still kind of in development. Um, but everybody took it very seriously, even to the point where like, okay. And so we had to wait to, in the wheel of fortune studio to make our way over to the Jeopardy set. So when we got called to head over to the set for our, uh, episodes or even rehearsal, they brought us backstage of wheel of fortune and we still had in the waiting hallway stand at least 10 feet apart from each other as jimmy from the clue crew escorted us from wheel of fortune to jeopardy crazy 
So mm-hmm. even like that extent, um, like if you needed to, you like just use the restroom. Like you had to like clarify and make sure that you communicated, and you had to go a certain way. They had a path laid out. Um, they took the protocol very seriously, not just in regards to the crew itself, but to the contestants. I believe that. All right. Um, should we should we jump into the games and then we can get to uh, we can we can get to your games there. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's go, go for it. All right. So. This is the week of November 2nd, and on Monday, November 2nd, we have the contestants Regan Reed, an ESL teacher from Gardena, California, Garrett Kuramoto, a librarian from Sunnyvale, California, and Carmela Chan, a biotech researcher from San Diego, California, who at this point, uh, two-day cash winnings, totaled $37,201. And we got the Jeopardy round categories Rom-Coms, The Princess Bride, 27 Dresses, Love Actually, Failure to Launch, and Sweet Tome, Alabama. Really going hard on that theme, writers. Mm-hmm. These all um, rom-coms, right? The whole yeah. round through. Yeah. And I, I don't, do we ever think of, I never really thought of The Princess Bride as a romantic I, comedy. I would not I, classify it as a rom-com. I was going to say the same exact thing. It is a comedy and romantic, but I, I like if I were pressed, I guess I would say like like fantasy maybe yeah. like classic yeah i think it's more than a rom-com yeah i mean to put it in the same the category really didn't drive it yeah failure to launch or sorry failure to lunch is the category but that movie they are they are not in the same class i'm just gonna yeah s- no. I'm, <laughs> that's right i'm calling you out uh was that matthew mcconaughey probably all right yeah <laughs> And of course, the Princess Bride category turned out to be about princesses getting married, not about the movie The Princess Bride, you know, um, which fair enough, but... But not as good. I wouldn't mind a category about the movie The Princess Bride. Yes. Felt like kind of a throwback to see um, the $600 level of failure to lunch. I bailed on lunch with a big group. I'm this type of person mentioned in the subtitle of Susan, Susan Cain's book, Quiet, uh, Garrett got that one. That's an introvert. I feel like we've had like kind of our introverts vogue. Uh, that was that book came out a few years ago and really struck a chord mm-hmm. for a lot of folks. Um, and I read it at the time, but I hadn't thought about it for a little bit. But yeah, that was that was kind of the the introverts moment in the sun. Yeah, I thought it was interesting. Um, the the six hundred dollar question on love actually. When I saw the response of Google guys, I think I was thinking in the back of my. I wonder if they would allow Gaga mm. as an answer on that one. Oh, that I was wonder. one of the more interesting components was seeing the the, the judging component mm-hmm. behind the scenes as the game played on. And so you started thinking about that because they really did encourage everybody to feel free to challenge anything that they thought that was close. And I wondered if somebody would have said Gaga eyes on that one, would that be one of the things? Mm. but garrett nailed it yeah yeah he did and they i mean they probably would and so like you saw and now that, that's one thing that I, I do remember being kind of uh i don't know what i don't want to say surprised but something that i particularly noticed that first round of taping was like it is not as bang bang as it seems on tv right because a lot of clues there will be a pause the judges will take a moment alex will take a second or even the contestants just take a long time to go to the next clue the taping, you know, it can roll, but it's not its not compressed to 20 minutes like it is on TV. Mm-hmm. You know, I will say that it did seem to actually move along pretty well, and all the challenges really seemed to take place during the breaks. Hmm. Hmm. And so that helped the rounds move along very nicely, and I think it kept the pace 
adequate for what you would see at home. Oh. But then, yeah, when there was something that would get challenged during a break, there might be an extended time where they really thoroughly considered how they might rule and then communicate to the contestants why they ruled in such a manner. And there were a few of those um, in the episodes I was able to take part in, and I can elaborate on that a little bit later. Sure. Yeah. Sure. yeah. Daily Double number one, which we find at the $1,000 level of Sweet Tome, Alabama. Regan finds this one and wagers a thousand of his twelve hundred. Uh, Carmela has thirty eight hundred at this point. Garrett has four thousand, and we get the clue. This nineteen fifty nine Tuscumbia set play about a steadfast teacher and a stubborn young girl is the state's official outdoor drama. Regan can't come up with anything. The correct response here is the Miracle Worker. So yeah. Regan was actually scheduled, from what I recall, Regan was scheduled to be a contestant before the shutdown and hiatus. So she had been waiting for months to come on to the show mm-hmm. as a contestant. And so this was her uh, opportunity to do so. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was really interesting to see, you know, how all of the contestants kind of s- scheduled out and later. I think Steven might have been another one as well mm. who was scheduled earlier and had to have that postponed for this set of tapings. Mm-hmm. That would- must have been, I don't know. Agonizing. I don't know if that's better or worse, right? <laughs> I, yeah. I, for me, it would have been much worse. I hate waiting. I hate waiting mm-hmm. so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, Just the three weeks of hearing that I was going to be on the show until I got on there. I thought that was rough. Yeah, But exactly. to be told that you're going to go, you have the date, you're getting closer, and then to have it pulled back indefinitely and then be told, okay, we're going to do it again now. Like that start and stop, mm-hmm. that that would have thrown me off. It would have yeah, been hard for sure. I yeah. I wouldn't have minded a period of time longer than I had, where I was certain I was going to get to be on the show, but I had more time to study because I uh, I'd been kind of casually studying for Jeopardy for like a couple of years before I got on, but in the like every once in a while it popped into my head that someday I wanted to be on Jeopardy, so I looked up a couple things or like you know kind of tried to look at some lists. Mm-hmm. And, and then I had I had four weeks between the call and the taping um, and uh, would have liked to undertake a much more rigorous program that I was able to do in that amount of time. So I think for me, I would have I mean, you know, the, the stress of the pandemic is is tough and probably would have impacted my ability to study. But I don't think I would have minded having like a few months um, of like certainty that the date was coming. Um, but I could see it being stressful for sure. I would have just wanted to get it done. Yeah. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, Carmela is in the lead at 6,800. Garrett has 3,400. Regan has 400. And we get the double Jeopardy categories, world geography, art appreciation, Greek goddesses, once popular first names, 14 letter words, and TV noir. They left three clues on the board in the Jeopardy round and the five... On the board in this round. And Denton, since you're here, maybe you can speak to this. We noticed that, especially last week, and I mean, apparently today, there were a lot of clues left on the board. And do you know why? Was there something that seemed to pause taping a a good amount? Or did it just seem to be the way it went? You know, I really don't know what to attribute that to. Um, You know, just looking at the length of the clues, you know, there are 
they do seem a bit longer to read. Yeah, they're wordy. A lot, you know, looking in the blocks of, you know, J.R. Cut, just a lot of five liners. That might have something to do with it. Mm-hmm. I don't think it had anything to do with the players because I remember Carmela especially, she was fast as a whip. Like, she was able to get in there and buzz, in, and she really seemed to dominate this round as well. Uh, There's a lot of mention about Carmela being a very shy player. I never really got that sense. I got that she was a very patient player. You know, she's like the crocodile in the swamp that you never see come, and then you look up the scoreboard, and you're like, how did you get $20,000? <laughs> You know, she was just very deliberative with how she used her time, but she was also very quick on the draw. So she was very well thought out. I can't say maybe there was a couple of moments where she buzzed in, took a second, and then was able to uh, put an answer forward. I don't know if that adds up over time, but she was very, very measured on how she responded. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It seems like the production just kind of goes through waves where like for a while, no board gets cleared and there doesn't seem to be much of a reason for it. And then... It gets back to normal for a while, and then, yeah. Um, Looking forward into the rest of the games. Oh, we we left a few on the board the rest of the week. Maybe that invalidates my theory that they were cutting the games, uh, you know, 45 seconds or a minute short to get some extra political ads in there before the election. I think those are... Well, I mean, Monday would have been the last one yeah before the election so they could That's go back right. to regular time after monday who knows mm-hmm. yeah but we did we did have uh we left well, some on the board some of the other days too that's, so that's true. That's true. so maybe not yeah but i do wonder if they adjust the ad time a little bit anyway we find the second daily double in the once popular first names category it is pick number four it's at the $1,600 level regan also finds this one she was at zero Carmelo was up at 6,800, and Garrett was at 3,400, and she wagered 1,000. Uh, and she got the clue meaning noble. Remember the Roman social class. This girl's name was top five in the U.S. in the 1940s, and she got it right with Patricia. Mm-hmm. I only know of two social classes, and I've never heard of a girl named Plebeia. <laughs> yeah, so that's right. I felt pretty good about that one backstage. <laughs> yeah. Anything you want to touch on here, either of you? Just that it's important to know who Mark Rothko is. I feel like he has come up a number of times recently. Yes. Yes, he has. Uh, that was the $2,000 level of art appreciation. In 2014, a dealer paid $80 million for an abstract painting by this Russian-American, then sold it for $189 million. And Garrett guessed Kandinsky, which was the name I was trying to come up with. Hmm. But that was not correct. And Carmela tried Chagall. Uh, Chagall's not really abstract. Yeah, so important to know Rothko. You are you're totally right. Daily Double number two comes up at the two thousand dollar level of world geography. It's the eighteenth pick and Carmela finds this one and wagers five thousand of her twelve thousand four hundred. Garrett's at eighteen hundred at this point. Regan is at forty two hundred. Um so if Carmela misses, then she gives up her lock. But we'll still be in a pretty significant lead, even if that happens. And her clue is, Azerbaijan's Baku archipelago lies within this huge body of water. And she correctly responds, what is the Caspian Sea? Mm-hmm. It was either going to be that one or the Black Sea. Right. You know, with that wager, it's really interesting. I think gauging where the other competitors are at that time, seeing how the flow of the game has gone, especially for, you know, a defending champion, you feel like you're playing with house money. You know, every yeah. episode <laughs> is a bonus. And so... It doesn't hurt to take a big risk in this situation like that. So 
it's one of those things where you step back and like, okay, this is going to be interesting. And you see the clue, you realize she's going to get it. Yeah. And so mm-hmm. it's very smart, you know, and there's plenty of questions left on the board. You know, you're midway through. You have a chance to make that back up if you miss it. So right. I thought it was an interesting play and it paid off for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Sure did. Yeah, and she never kind of got within striking distance again from that point. Garrett picked up a few. And actually, I think after that question, like, she just sat back for the rest of the mm-hmm. round, basically. Yep. <laughs> I don't want to <laughs> say she did that intentionally, but yeah. Yeah. It's interesting with a lot of those TV questions lately where it seems like the audience is so fractured and they have their lens that it really is hit or miss whether they're going to get a lot of these shows. If it's on Netflix or if it's on Hulu, you know, you have to be watching the right streaming service sometimes Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So at the end of Double Jeopardy, Carmela has a lock at 18,200. Garrett is at 5,800 and Regan's at 3,000. The final Jeopardy category is political speeches, and they get the clue. At the 2004 DNC, Barack Obama used a fairly new metaphor, saying, Pundits slice and dice our country into these two types of states. And they all got it correct. Regan uh, wagered $29.95 and said, What are blue and red? Garrett wagered $201 and said, What are red and blue? And Carmela wagered nothing and said, What are red and blue? Mm -hmm. So... She's the winner moving on to Tuesday. Yeah. Somebody was saying uh, on some social media post I was looking at this week that red is Republican and blue is Democrat is new enough that you can see like maps from like the like Bill Clinton's election where they were showing the Democratic states in red. And I just can't imagine. <laughs> um, it wasn't that long ago. Yeah. Uh, I think I saw that same post where it was they, they attributed a certain color to the incumbent mm-hmm. on those maps. Yeah. So like the, the, the incumbent would always be blue and the challenger would be red. Huh. It's crazy. Jeopardy always does a good job of um, bringing in kind of topical uh, things related to um, whenever the game is going to air. So I feel like it's always smart when you're uh, when you're getting ready to be on Jeopardy to look up uh, to to know when these games are going to air and then think about what kinds of things are going to be happening at that time, whether it's, you know, award shows or sporting events or elections or holidays. Mm -hmm. Um, Those things are likely to come up on the boards. Yep. So that was interesting, too, because I remember very clearly sitting in the audience and the intro of the show where Alex mentioned the fact that, OK, Halloween is done. We can we've eaten all of our candy. We've been rested out. And I was just sitting there thinking that's a really interesting. So, huh, I'm like timing things out. And the funny thing, too, is before this next episode, which is where I made my first appearance, I saw the VTR card. It's what the television stations see as far as like clarifying when the air date of an episode is, when to play it. And they had told us like, we really don't know when these are going to air. You might see a date. That's tentative because we don't know when the season's going to start. So we will begin to push these out. So don't sit on this as like when your show's going to be on. And I saw the date of November 3rd and I thought, ha, huh, I feel like something's going on that day. And that's the last I thought of it until mm-hmm. I think I signed my paper at the end. I was like, oh, oh, nobody's going to see this show. Yeah. <laughs> yep. yep. I'm going to be my own. Sh- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I thought that was interesting. And then um, once I saw this clue, it, you know, it, it resonated a little bit uh, because I was actually in Boston when uh, Obama gave this speech. I was on a wait list to actually attend the DNC that year. So it was interesting how that kind of came back around uh, full circle in that Yeah, regards. wow. 
So in our next game, we have Devin's first game. Our contestants on Tuesday are Devin Rossiter, an academic coach from Bakersfield, California, Fernanda Trupiano, a business analyst from Van Nuys, California, and Carmela Chan, a biotech researcher from San Diego, California, whose three-day cash winnings at this point total $55,401. We get the Jeopardy round categories River Deep Mountain High, American Names Before and After, Emmy's Best Comedy, Gestures and wait, what's that? Um, wait, in this case, spelled W-E-I-G-H-T. Mm-hmm. And Carmela heads straight for the before and after category. A woman after my own Way heart. go, yeah. Well, it's just good strategy. Like, if you're preparing for the show, I think somebody did a data science study on this. Before and after is actually the category that has appeared the most mm-hmm. in Jeopardy. I believe that. Yeah. More than anything else. So if you're good with wordplay, that and anagrams is a, is a good way to kind of cover your bases to, to kind of prep up and get ready. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you cleaned up in this category, Devin. You, you got- yeah, this was a good one for me. Yeah. And then um, I think I went over to gestures. And, and, you know, as it rolled on, I was a little nervous about that one. I didn't want to risk like putting the gesture up and doing it wrong and having like somebody from the University of Texas throw me heat for that. You know, <laughs> like if I did hook them horns incorrectly, like would have blown up my mentions. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was watching the episode with my daughter on uh, the $200 question. A kid's book describes this gesture as a special slap to celebrate when everything's going great. And my daughter responds real quickly, what is a birthday spanking? And I'm like, no, no, I don't think that's going to fly. No, no. No, it didn't count that. Nope. And I hope you're not doing that anywhere. Um, That was a high five. Um, Don't do that to your friends. No, no, I don't want that call. Um... And the $1,000 one, I I sat on it because I wasn't sure, and I'm glad I did. The pinky and thumb extend and the other fingers curl to form a Hawaiian gesture for this two-word phrase about relaxing, a.k.a. shaka. And I was thinking hang 10. And I'm glad I didn't because the correct answer was hang loose. Mm. Yeah. Hang 10 is like a surfing move, right? Right, because your toes are on the sides of the surfboard. So you're hanging Mm -hmm. 10 toes so you don't fall off. Yep. There were two kind of Colorado mountain questions, too, in River Deep Mountain High. Got that right. Mm -hmm. The first one, actually, they went back to back, too, but in different parts of the category. The first one was Carmela's uh, Daily Double One. The opening words to America the Beautiful were inspired by the view from this peak in the Rockies. And it's one of those where, like, you can only really think of one peak in the Rockies. So, I, you know, I thought it was an interesting choice for a $1,600 clue. Uh, but she nailed it. $2,700 wager with Pike's mm-hmm, Peak. Mm-hmm. And then the one that went after that was the $400 one, which I thought was a bit more obscure. But the clue kind of guided you along, and that's how I nailed it. Because I'd never heard of any of these mountains in Colorado. <laughs> Mount Yale rises 14,200 feet. So, naturally, this rival mount that also got its name in 1869 had to be 200 feet taller what is Mount Harvard? Mm-hmm. Woo! Um, I'm sorry. Wait, Emily did you did you go to, did you go to Harvard? I, I went to school near Boston. Um, <laughs> oh, oh, you know what? Northeastern University. We actually got to work a lot with Harvard. Oh, nice. Um, I heard of the great pranks that Harvard and Yale would pull on each other during that football game at yeah. Harvard Stadium. Uh-huh. Um, the the we suck cards. Yeah. Um, always a great one. Yeah, I, I I always enjoyed going over there for for yeah. some events. That's uh. That's an interesting place. Um, An organization I worked with had, uh, we had uh, like chapters at Harvard and at Northeastern. Those were the two chapters. So, uh, so we worked together pretty closely, got to know some, some lovely people. Cool. I was just out here with my mountains. 
<laughs> might have been the better way to go. Yeah, I did not mean to change the subject to my college. No, no, it's fine. You went to Harvard. You are required to always yeah. say I went to Harvard whenever Harvard comes out. You earned it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, believe it or not, University of Northern Colorado doesn't come up a lot in, you know, like general discussion. So I don't really have an opportunity to bring it out. Yeah. At the end of the Jeopardy round, Carmela is in the lead at 7,100. And Devin is right behind at 6,000. And Fernanda is in the red at minus 400. We got the double Jeopardy round categories, books, subtitles health observances a pirate's life 1970 50 years ago albums and compound words a lot of controversy with that 1970 category from people online they needed a correction on the title like no there's that that's not correct 1970 was only 20 years ago (laughs) (laughs) that that cannot be true that's that that, that's not right i can't be right i don't need this now yeah yeah. <laughs> Second question of that category it was one of those where you put things together too early before really considering the whole thing. Mm-hmm. This Gary Trudeau comics uh, strip debuted in 28 newspapers, and I buzzed in and said the far side. And if you go back and watch the tape, you can see the moment where my brain snaps into place and reminds me, no, that was Gary Larson. Yeah. Right. That was Gary Larson. But yeah. But no, I know you're on stage and you you see a thing and your brain thinks a thing and you're like, I got it, <laughs> going yep. in. Mm-hmm. Well, especially the way that clues are generally structured, where you look for the first thing that guides you in that direction and you run with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So read the whole clue, everybody. Mm-hmm. Yep. yep. Yeah. Good pull on PLO though. Mm-hmm. A couple of clues down. No, yeah. I was a regular viewer of uh, you know ABC News and Peter Jennings was always. Like the guy, so for some reason, like I always remember, like a lot of that, you know, because growing up in the, uh, the like the eighties and the nineties, you know, for some reason, like when there was stuff that you would watch, like sporting events, like it, you, you always stuck around with ABC News growing up in New York. So, mm-hmm. like they were really good at covering world events, and it often led into Jeopardy. So, you know, yeah. there was a, you know, there was an interesting connection there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly tricky clue at the $400 level of compound words. It was a dactylogram is another word for this. Fernanda guessed a typewriter. Carmela guessed a keyboard. I was at home thinking sign language or something like that. Um, I think everyone got dactyl is fingers um, and that Graham has something to do with an image or, or writing. The correct response here was fingerprint. Did you have anything coming to mind for you at that point, Devin, or were you stumped uh what i had coming to mind was everybody else got this wrong i'm just gonna sit back mm-hmm. and take that as a win for me <laughs> wise right. you moved yeah. up 400 mm-hmm. that's right daily double number two comes up in that category a couple clues later at the 1200 dollars level uh carmella finds this one and wagers 4000 of her 9100 devon's at 7600 at this point fernandez a negative 400 again i think she because she missed that telegram, yeah. Right, yeah. And Carmela gets the clue, an old term for a jailer. In real estate, it's a house that's move-in ready, and it does not come to her. That's a turnkey. So she drops down, and uh, Devin, you take the lead. You could hear every viewer of HGTV just shouting through their screens at this one. (laughs) And... You know, it, it was surprising. And, you know, that's, that wager is very reminiscent of the 5,000 from the previous game, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And she was starting to pick up momentum. That was definitely a turning point. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, the rest of that round, you two duke it out. Fernanda really does not get in at all. 
for that whole round. Um, she got in on uh, the albums category, but then it looks like I picked up the rest of that yeah. all the way through. I used to do college radio, and so I had access to you know the whole repository. Sure. Put a little stank on 50 Cent for that $1,600 <laughs> clue. In 2003, this rapper released the album Get Rich or Die Trying. The movie of the same name came two years later. Not the only late 90s, early 2000s hip-hop call out i would do this week mm-hmm. um but that would come and then the wilco one that is all college radio the two thousand yeah. dollars nice. so, yeah shout out to wrbb in boston thank you <laughs> nice. i used to do nice. a radio show three hours long 10 watts strong <laughs> <laughs> was that a was that from uh you know like one o'clock to four o'clock in the morning that kind of college radio or was it were people awake oh yeah uh, absolutely so i used to do the sports too so i was the, a broadcaster for like hockey but oh, sweet. because we had such little staffing like i would have to fill the rest of the time after i was back from the arena so it would basically be hockey run back to the station and then throw on a cd to do the uh, the late um the late <laughs> shift nice for like four people yeah oh for sure all right and so daily double number three shows up in the book subtitles category it is pick number 24 Devin finds this one. You want to tell us about it? So, uh, sort of Shakespearean fan fiction. Lisa Fiedler's novel, Dating Hamlet, is subtitled This Woman's Story. I was able to reference reading this at Staten Island Academy, 11th grade English lit, and pause just to make sure I wasn't going to get the other you know, female character, but Ophelia was it. And I felt good about that one. I wanted to give myself a little bit of space, but not dip too far back, realizing with less than a minute to go, I could rush and, and, and pick some other questions up if I needed to. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I felt good about this one. I felt better about this one than I did for other Daily Doubles. Me and Daily Doubles had a love-hate relationship <laughs> during this run. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not too thrilled with seeing any of them, but I dealt with them as I did. And each of them had a very different approach, I think. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Carmela picks up a couple more after this to uh get back within reach. You know, it's not it's not a lock game by the the time we get to the end of the double jeopardy round cuz she picks up a couple more. So at the end of the double jeopardy round, Devin is at 17,900. That's a good total. Carmela's at 12,700. Fernandez at 400 and we get the final jeopardy category Africa. And the clue, after the removal of the dictator, in 2011, three broad-colored stripes and two white symbols were restored to this country's flag. And Andy at the Jeopardy fan took some heat for mentioning that the phrase, after the removal of the dictator, opened the final Jeopardy clue on Election Day 2020. Um, (laughs) How... Dare. Um, <laughs> they're trying to be topical. I, I think uh, they. That would have been a stretch, though. I don't know. I I feel like it's one of those. And I don't think I don't think it would have been worded like that. Yeah. I think the dictator line was really more just to give you a clue, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Without going too far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I remembered this happening in the news. It seems like you did too, Devin. Uh, Fernanda wagered everything but a dollar, 399, and guessed what is Zimbabwe. That's incorrect. Carmela wagered 11,899. So she's trying to stay ahead of Fernanda, I think. Is that right? Yeah. 
Yeah. So she's she's uh, going to land at 801 if she misses. But she correctly responds, what is Libya? And Devin has wagered 7,505. Is that a significant number for you? It's significant that I didn't want to win by $1. Mm. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's funny, too, because they give you unlimited time to figure out what your wager is going to be. And you get a pink piece of paper and a Sharpie to write it down. Mm-hmm. You know, I am a math specialist in my line of work in the Bakersfield City School District. So, you know, numbers I'm, I'm very familiar with. I knew what I needed to, to wager to clear. I think it was 7501. Mm -hmm. but I wanted to give myself a little extra wiggle room. But the funny thing is when Carmela announced, you know, when it was real, she got the right answer. I felt good about that. And I should have known at that point that I won, but I always have that fear of getting it right and not wagering enough. So Mm -hmm. I didn't really believe that I got it until Alex confirmed it. And then like that showing of just like release and joy, like Mm -hmm. that was it all just like coming out at that moment. And I I didn't trust my own math until it was confirmed by somebody else, as strange as that sounds. But that was it. Yeah, that was the moment. And, you know, it, it was funny. Like he said something at that moment that I didn't recognize until seeing it for the first time on air. And it's probably the thing that he said that's going to stick with me the most. He said, enjoy the moment. Try to enjoy the moment, Devin, if you can. Mm. (laughs) And I think that takes on so much more significance after today. Yeah. Yeah. For real. Mm. Wow. But yeah, that was it. And I I was really nervous after that celebration because you generally don't see that from contestants on Jeopardy. And I was really, you know, I don't want to say concerned, but I was curious to see how that would be received. And... Mm. It, it was really great to to hear from people that th- they enjoyed that because, you know, I, I feel like that's how people would react if they had that moment, that opportunity for something mm-hmm. that they strive for for so long. So, mm-hmm. I, you yeah. know, I wasn't worried about holding back in that regards. Mm-hmm. I did worry about popping their mics with that clap because that, <laughs> yeah. that was a good pop I got on that one. I was really proud of that. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. They can handle that. Yeah. Takes us to Wednesday. On Wednesday, November 4th, we have the contestants Paloma Thornley. An HR director from San Francisco, California, Keone Rodriguez, an undergraduate student at Stanford from San Diego, California, and a returning champion, Devin Rossiter, an academic coach from Bakersfield, California, who just won $25,405. Going into this game, these were the two I was most terrified Mm -hmm. of going up against. Mm -hmm. Um, In my rehearsal... I, I really struggled with the signaling device. I think out of the 15 questions I faced, I maybe was able to jump in about two times. They tell you to either go by the last syllable that Alex says and then buzz in there, or those lights on the side of the board to jump in and wait until those flash to click in. Otherwise, you're going to get locked out. When I listened for the syllables, I was too early. When I looked for the lights, I was too late. So I was in this weird, nebulous, like, middle ground. In fact, you saw, like, the, the grip I had when I was playing. It was two hands close to the vest, like, a, like I was about to unsheath a sword. I didn't start that until the beginning of my first episode. Now, Keone was super fast on the trigger. He crushed it. I was on the same rehearsal set as him in our practice group Mm -hmm. and he just dominated so i was already feeling like all right well you know i got nothing to lose i'm playing for fun i could be a little looser here and i felt like that helped me but kiani was just dominant i left 
and I didn't really do much to improve the score that I inherited in rehearsal. Paloma took my place on the podium and upped that score by about 7,000 in a short period of time. So I saw both of them just rush it. And so when I saw both of them get that draw, yeah, I started to panic a little bit. That's, I believe that. (laughs) Yeah. I remember that feeling. Uh, uh, (laughs) So do I. Um, (laughs) In the Jeopardy round, we get the categories Clues Across the Smithsonian, U.S. Islands, Add an E, Automaker for the People, Animated TV, and The Whole Truth. Whole H-O-L-E. I remember dedicating the first category to my children (laughs) and wanted them to give it a shot and went with Animated TV and realized very quickly when I saw the clues, oh, I don't want my children. (laughs) succeeding in this category yeah we got the simpsons we got south park we got archer yeah yeah let's 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 just get my money and move on kids Mm -hmm. um and of course we had a throwback to uh kyle's and my final jeopardy at 600 level um despite all his scheming on looney tunes wiley coyote never quite catches this prey uh keone got that one the roadrunner wiley coyote was our final jeopardy i don't recall that back in the day now there were a few looney tunes episodes where he did go after bugs bunny mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. daily double came early in this round too yeah um we get daily double number one as just the seventh pick so um so pretty early uh in u.s islands um at the 400 dollars level and Devin, you found this one sure did and uh wagered a thousand uh good wager you had just 400 at that point so it's the it's the maximum which is always the right call i think Keone was ahead with 1,600. Paloma had 1,200. You got the clue, a tourist spot. Maryland's Kent Island is the largest island in this body of water. And it looked to me like you knew it. It's the only body of water in Maryland, really. Like, Maryland is just like a strip of land. Mm -hmm. It's like a reverse peninsula, basically. Yeah. So Um, if you know that that's Chesapeake Bay, then you're set to go with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. That moves you right in. It moves you right in between the two of them. The the uh, the really interesting clue of this round, from the uh, on set perspective, was the thousand dollar clue in the Smithsonian. That was one of them that was presented by one of the uh, on air personalities from ABC Seven in Washington D.C. Uh, from I believe Veronica Johnson. The atrium of the National Museum of the American Indian displays boats, including a birch bark canoe of this people of Lake Superior also known as the Ojibwe, many of their customs are depicted in the Song of Hiawatha. So, Keone responded with the Anishinaabe, and he was initially ruled incorrect. Oh, no. So, he got that wrong, lost a thousand. Paloma also made a guess, and she was incorrect. You didn't see this on the show. No. I sat back, I took, again, like, that's my strategy. If I see two and I'm not comfortable with it, I'm more than happy with that. So... I was pretty good with going out of that uh, with with that advantage. After the end of the round, Keone challenges that one with the judges. He goes, this is one of the courses that I studied at Stanford. I know it's the Anishinaabe. It's not just the Chippewa. uh, And a friend of mine is a member of that tribe. (laughs) Wow. So the judges research this. They take about five minutes. They come back. And they explain to everybody what's going to go down. Okay, Keone, you are 100% right. Anishinaabe is a correct response. We're putting your money back and we're giving you the thousand for the correct response. Paloma, you should have never been able to get that one incorrect. So we're giving you your thousand dollars back. Are there any questions? 
And I raise my hand like the the dweeb at the high school dance approaching the pretty girl just to shoot a shot. And I say, can I have some money, please, too? <laughs> and they go, no, we're good. Uh, but, I, you know, it was just an icebreaker for that moment because it was such a, a, a really wild swing. So then they had Alex recut the response that you saw mm-hmm. where mm-hmm. he goes, we were looking for the Chippewa, but you're absolutely right. Good job for you. Wow. Huh. They Did they do that at the end of the round, you said? Um, That's and, correct. And then cut it back in. So would they have had to, like, change everybody's, like, do editing to make the scores correct for the remainder of the round? Uh, I don't know how that worked. I don't know yeah. if that would have worked out because they, I'm trying to think. Did you really see our scores too closely? Yeah, not not but too yeah. much after that. Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, yeah. That's a great question. Hmm. I mean, you don't really see the front of your podium anyway. Yeah, um, you just see the scores kind of up, hanging from the roof next to the board. Yeah, um, and that's kind of what you work off of. Right, yeah. and I guess if they edited that segment so that they just uh, kept like pretty close shots, so that yeah. they weren't showing right. um, showing the uh, the podiums, showing the you know showing your scores then I guess that yeah. that would work. And then they just bring you into double jeopardy with the, with the correct scores. Yep. I'm really got, I'm really glad that Keone got that challenge. Yeah. And I'm really glad that they gave it to him. And you know, it's funny too. He was so apologetic <laughs> about the fact. He's like, guys, I am so sorry. I, I know this is it. I just want to make sure. And I, I think all of us were just so supportive of him. Like, dude, of course you challenged that. Could you imagine if you didn't the regret afterwards? Like that sense of support, from mm-hmm. all of the contestants that that week was really remarkable. I credit Carmela with a lot of that, actually. The fact that she was so open about all of her experiences as the defending champion from the previous taping, and every question that all the other contestants had from the experience, she was so forthright about you know making sure that she could share that lens, when she could have very easily been very standoffish and defensive to kind of protect you know, her, mm-hmm. her, her stance as champion. Mm-hmm. But I think that that camaraderie from all the contestants that week really showed through it. And, and you know, you'll see that later on too. Sure. Yeah. Looking at Wikipedia, it looks like Ojibwe is, um, or Chippewa are a group within the Anishinaabe. That sort of helps me kind of contextualize a little bit. Really good for him though. And, and, and that's totally, uh, in keeping with like the spirit of like the Jeopardy experience and in my experience and from, from, you know, from what I've heard from so many other people is that like, we really value knowledge, you know, and you never would begrudge someone for, you know, really knowing something that's to be admired, even if it means that, you know, it's disadvantageous to you from a scoring perspective. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, um, Devin, you're in the lead with 6,600. Keone has 4,600. Paloma has 800. And we get the categories anthropology, seeing red, animalograms. <laughs> I say that. Uh, here's the play. It's going to be close. And he's out. Yeah, another four left on the board here. Yep. Man, that's uh, it's just so strange. Well, it wasn't necessarily, due, you know, due to pace on that one, I think. And, and what's interesting is if the game would have played out a little differently towards the end, you'd see a different set of categories that uh, were left on the board than what were left on the board. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Having a video category in the Jeopardy round didn't do you any favors. No. Always takes longer. That's right. Yeah. That's right. But, I mean, we only left two on the board for that category. So that might have been where they lost the time in double. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. 
Uh, we get the second Daily Double very early in this round, too, and Devin locates it as well. It's at the $1,600 clue, right. and here's the play. These things. These Daily Doubles just... Ugh. You want to tell us about it? <laughs> well, I knew that it was going to be in... If it was going to be in a $1,600 position, I was not going to be very friendly with it, and I saw that through this category... It was hit or miss so far. Anytime you can go triple stumper on a uh, two hundred on an early on a four hundred dollar category, it's not going to bode well for your confidence mm -hmm. going mm -hmm. in. So yeah. uh, we missed cat on a hot tin roof on the four hundred, and so that's why you saw me for a sixteen hundred dollar clue on a daily double, even with a lead, bet eight hundred. And I think Alex actually clever. Like, wait, did you say eight hundred? Like, yeah, eight hundred. Absolutely. They read the clue. Kevin Bacon was not in this numeric play in 1990, but you could go trace his connections to Courtney B. Vance and Stockard Channing. And I get what they were doing with Kevin Bacon in numeric and trying to lead you with six degrees of Kevin Bacon. Mm -hmm. But unless you know the name of the play is six degrees of separation, I feel like that might actually lead you away. Mm. So I was more than happy just sitting this one out, getting the buzz, knowing I bet low on this one, and just moving on from there. I feel like, you know, a, a lot of times those get called out on as coward's bets, but it helped me keep a strong position going through the yeah. round. Yeah, I mean, if you if you know how you feel about the category and it's not your category, I think that's wise. Yeah. And it's also helpful that I take that daily double away from other players who right. might benefit from that later mm -hmm. on. Yeah. Uh, because, well, as we saw later on in the round, um, that can make a world of difference. If you leave it in the hands of somebody else. Mm -hmm. A couple of turning points on this one, I can kind of tell you, was the $2,000 question seeing red. Clue was, as seen in Titian's Assumption of the Virgin from the year 1518, this wormy, and that was like my red alert there, vivid red was widely used in the medieval and renaissance art. I had vermilion, but I also had a pretty strong lead. So I didn't want to risk dipping that down a little bit so i sat on vermilion but it was there and then the other one came a couple of clues later and i had done pretty well with the um i felt good about he's out as a category about dictators again i don't know if that's related to the week's social commentary or not but mm -hmm. jeopardy um, so woke following along <laughs> they're so into it um but it was the animalograms category I thought I was doing well. Um, we got the $2,000 one. What one lion said to the other, plate one. And I thought about antelope. And I had pieced it together just as Keone buzzed in. He nails it. And he goes right over to anthropology. And that's his wheelhouse. If I was to get plate one, if I was to get antelope at the end of animalograms, I would have gone to he's out. Mm -hmm. And lived in that category and I don't know if that would have benefited Keone or not. I would have felt more confident. But as you saw, Keone, from this point on, he makes a mad dash through the rest of the round. He yeah. goes through with just about everything in that category, nails the daily double three in the last clue of the round, throws 7,000 on it. Ruth Benedict analyzed this country in her classic book, The Chrysanthemum and the Sword. He knew he had it right away before they finished reading a clue. Mm -hmm. Hits it. What is Japan? Takes the big lead. Buzzer goes off. He heads into final Jeopardy 
with uh, 18,400, Alita 5,000 over me at 13,400, with Paloma sitting at 3,600. It hit me like a bag of rocks. And if you look at my reaction after that double jeopardy, <laughs> I am just in awe of what just happened to me. I yeah. Um, yeah. It was yeah. one of the <laughs> fastest run-ups I have ever seen on this show, and he deserves a ton of credit for going with what he knows, committing to it, and making the most of that opportunity. And 100%. percent bet, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so the Final Jeopardy category is country names, and the clue is five UN member countries have one-syllable names. Chad, Laos, and these three in Europe. And Devin is the only one to get it right. Paloma mm-hmm. wagers 3500 she gets what are France, Spain, and question mark. Question mark is not a country in Europe, so that is not correct. Keone wagered 10,000, mm-hmm. which is a cover bet and then some, a bit. Yeah. <laughs> and a bit. Uh, and he also got what is Spain, France, and. Uh, and Devin wagered 13399 everything but a dollar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, hmm. yeah, man. You know, I with a lot of these Final Jeopardy bets, especially after the first episode, it's play money until it's real. And I work through the mindset of there really is no difference between second and third place. Mm. So maybe it's a little bit of Ricky Bobby. If you're not first, you're last. But you know, I, I feel like if you're gonna walk away from Jeopardy, walk away big. And you know, knowing my position behind, you know, I knew that a big bet was going to get me to a place where I wanted to be depending on how Keone did. So, you know, it, it, it's 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 a game theory approach where depending on how you look at what you've earned, you feel good about putting yourself in a position to be successful. And so, you know, I felt confident with geography. I thought the way that the question played out was really interesting because of the different directions you could have taken it. I think just about everybody thinks of Spain and France at first. And then right. it's just a matter of where on the map you start to search. Yeah. Do you go north up to England? Do you go to Scandinavia? Um, I actually did go up that way. And then with 10 seconds left without getting it, I figured, you know what? Let me just think the absolute opposite extreme let's go to the southeast let's go turkey no greece greece and so i slammed that down uh within the last few seconds so really fortunate i thought that way i saw somebody on reddit that had a really funny response uh where they saw that clue they thought what about crete oh crete okay maybe it's crete no it can't be crete that's part of greece okay what else is it what else is it what else is it what else is it right yeah but you know that was just one of those you know, it's like if you ever watch the old Where in the World is Carmen San Diego game show, mm-hmm. right? And you got to scramble on the map to put those sticks with the alarms on at the end in order to win the trip to space camp or whatever. Right. And, like, you have to be very deliberate to know exactly where some of those smaller nations are. Not that Greece mm-hmm. is a smaller nation, but it's one that you don't always think about as far as being part of Europe. Yeah. But there it was, and I was really happy to land on it with just enough time there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, great get. Um, and Alex sort of acknowledged that two of them were obvious and then one was trickier to get to. Yeah, it was weird how we referred to Greece as the devil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then yeah. I think he said something along the lines of like, Greece completes the threesome. Um, and people, that's the way that this question was framed. Yep. Um, with wins like that, I, I talked about getting a bet, getting a final right and then not betting enough. I feel like that's another one that's a tough mm-hmm. take is... 
getting two out of three on a multi-parter like that. Yeah. And I really did feel for, for Keanu. He did take it really hard mm. at that episode. Yeah. Uh, and you could tell um, Alex at the end there in, in the contestant chat, he wanted to make the effort to to comfort and console Keone on that because of how you know how rough of a of a of a take that was. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing great. He you know he he recovered really nicely. Um, things are doing well for him. I, I got a chance to talk to him on Twitter um, today and yesterday, and yeah, he was just he just is now able to kind of reflect on the experience and and be just truly appreciative of of what he, he's a wonderful representative. Um, and just a great personality, smart as a whip. Wherever he goes after Stanford, um, they're going to be thrilled to have him on board because he, he really did represent himself so mm-hmm. well. And a lot of people were so inspired by his performance as well. It was yeah. so great to be able to share the stage with him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he played a great game. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he did. And so did you. So we see you again on Thursday where we get the contestants, Bert Thacker, a pr- project engineer from Palm Springs, California, Christina Tangburnus, a copy editor from Anaheim, California, and Devin Rossiter's back with two-day cash winnings totaling $52,204. Good total. Yeah. Uh, and we get the categories Take a Hike, Children's Literature, Three Named Marys, Law, Anatomical Idioms, and The Sandwich Generation. My shout-out was for the Wu-Tang Clan in this episode. Started things <laughs> yeah. off with children's literature. Jeopardy's for the children. Um, I like that children's literature category. Oh, yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. well, at about the $1,000 question, I did not like that category. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's right. That's where we found um, Daily Double number one. She wrote about and illustrated a frog named Mr. Jeremy Fisher and a hedgehog named Mrs. Tiggy Winkle. And I absolutely blanked on this. Uh, I think I remarked at some point, my English teachers are gonna kill me. Uh, the correct answer was Beatrix Potter. And uh, in all honesty, the only thing I've ever read or um, or even heard of from Beatrix Potter was the Tale Peter of Peter Rabbit. Rabbit. So that was yeah. a blind spot for me. Uh-huh. It was early enough in the round, I felt okay throwing 1800 on it, making it a true daily double. Because if I miss it, I could still make up that money later on in the round. And a lot of people talked about that moment as one that I'm going to regret because I could have used that money later on in the round. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and I would just say that there are a lot of other questions I could have picked up money on to make that up. Um, that's not the one that I really sit on. And, you know, the other contestants also had opportunities as well. Right. You know, it's like if mm-hmm. you watch a football game and you see a bad call by a ref. Well, chances are they're making bad calls for everybody, so you can't pinpoint it on that. Right. That's not one that I lamented on, but it was frustrating to see that one. It was, in, in a way, a blessing and a curse to see it so early in the round. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, sure. we're, we're pretty firm believers here that if uh, <laughs> if you find a daily double in the Jeopardy round, you should just bet everything. Yep. Pretty 100%. much no matter what. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, let me commend to you, though, the eighth episode of this very podcast <laughs> where I did the deep dive on Beatrix, Beatrix Potter. Potter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, once so. again, once again, listeners, eventually we will cover literally everything on the show. The entire breadth of human knowledge. That's right. That's the project. Uh, this is the audio version of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. That's, I guess that's the plan. <laughs> Don't panic. <laughs> Uh, there was one, how about the 800 for Take a Hike? There was an interesting one sure. uh, with Christina. Ooh, this yeah. was become a 46er by hiking Whiteface, Haystack, and 44 other peaks in this range of upstate New York. Uh, as a native New Yorker, I felt pretty good about this, but Christina buzzed in first and uh, responded, what is the Ad- Adirondacks? And Alex asked her to clarify 
to say it again. And she responded this time with, what is the Idirondacks? Mm-hmm. And then uh, I was able to follow up after the incorrect pronunciation. Mm-hmm. That's not really the talk that uh, of this round of the internet, though, is it? Um, the one that got the most attention was the sandwich generation for 200. Oh, yeah. Hey, you guys. What was going on there? Hey, you guys. <laughs> oh, boy. Okay, let's talk about this one. Hey, you guys. U.S. News raved about this sandwich from John's Roast Pork in Philadelphia. And whoever has to do the transcribing for J Archives, I give them a ton of credit. I want to read Bert's response word for word. What is the chipped pork sandwich, the pork pork sandwich pork roll? <laughs> and Alex says no. And he goes, pork sandwich? And Alex goes, none of the above. None of the above. <laughs> and I buzz in there, and I go, what is a cheesesteak? And he goes, yes, what is a cheesesteak? So at the end of this round, Bert challenges this. Really? Bert challenges this and goes, I know that John's pork roast... Uh, John's Roast Pork in Philadelphia is world-renowned for its pork roll and has received multiple awards for this. So I would just like to see if we could look into this. And the judges go, okay, we will. Uh, Again, you're like, I'm sorry, I just know that they have a really good pork sandwich. And they come back and, yeah, it's not what U.S. News and World Report acknowledged them for. Now, I don't know if you saw the news in Philadelphia, uh, a lot of the local stations dragged him for that. Um, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't in like a mean way. They're like, come on, how do you know, know Philly is a cheesesteak place? They went to John's Roast Pork and interviewed John. <laughs> and John said to Bert, next time you're in Philly, you come on over, we'll give you a cheesesteak, and all is forgiven. Come on over here. And actually took a picture for Twitter to Bert afterward. Bert is just a, such a warm soul, a tremendous gentleman. We actually got the chance to talk over mm-hmm. lunch between uh, my second and third episodes. Just a fantastic soul. And so after the episode taped, I actually went to Pops Driving in Bakersfield and got uh, a one of mine. Uh, I like mine with American cheese, no onions. So uh, I, I sent him a picture. It's for you, Bert. The American <laughs> wit, a.k.a. the chip chop pork, pork roll, pork sandwich, pork roll. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. Yeah, it was such a fun moment, though, and you yeah. can tell like just the collegiality. Like you know, he was he was kind of like you know took that one on the chin, but he had such a good spirit about it. It oh, was yeah. just a fun moment, and and what what you saw was was exactly how it played out on the set. Sure. Yeah, I had I had a, I mean I saw that clue and got a little perplexed because like you know you think Philly sandwich you think cheesesteak right, but mm-hmm. the, but the name well, of the uh, the name of the restaurant is John's Roast Pork, and I'm like, is there at least there a pork sandwich from Philadelphia I'm supposed to know about? So I think I went down like a path. Like he went. Well, not only that, but you're thinking <laughs> cheesesteak places in Philly. You're thinking Pats, Pats and Gino's. Gino's. Right, Pats and Gino's. So, yeah. Yeah. So I was curious about that one. But, you know, after I knew it wasn't a chip chop pork chop roll sandwich pork roll, um, <laughs> I felt good with that cheesesteak. So yeah. It's okay. <laughs> nice. All right. So at the end of the Jeopardy round, uh, scores are really close. Uh, Devin is in third place at 3,000, but Christina's in second at 3,400, and Bert is only at 3,600. And, and Alex did, like, make extra mention of that. And, and, you know, he really thrives on seeing those very close competitive games. Mm-hmm. So you could see him perk up at the end of the Jeopardy round and, and anticipate what was to come. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. I think that was great for him to kind of call out. And it, it, that really is when the game is at its best as a viewer, mm-hmm. when you really don't know how this game is going to play out at the midway point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And we get the Double Jeopardy round categories, historical facts, music venues, peoples, the scientist's haiku, 
21st Century Black and White Movies and After Effect, which is another... And how did we start off this round? With a Daily Double. (laughs) (laughs) These Daily Doubles, I swear. Uh, Colorado Daily Double. And now here's the thing. A lot of people got on to me like, oh, this is what happens when you start hunting for those Daily Doubles. That was not my intention. I love music venues, and I wanted to start off the round strong. So I found a category I liked. There was a middle space. I go, let's go ahead and just kick in there and see what happened. Mm-hmm. And I think you hear me on mic go, oh, come on. <laughs> mm. Yeah, if I were if I were daily dumbbell hunting, I would head for historical facts, I think. Or, I mean, we do end up finding one there. Or for peoples, I would not guess music venues as um, the most likely to find a daily double. But yeah, there it is. Uh, so you wagered 3,000. Uh, everything it, I had. Everything it was you basically had. An ex- yeah, everything I had an extension of... The Jeopardy round. It was mm-hmm. basically the same thing for yeah, me. Yeah, so of course. That why not? Totally makes sense. You, you hit it on clue one of, of the of the double Jeopardy round. It's you know treat it like a like you would a, a Jeopardy round daily double. And your clue was here's the geological beauty that makes up this outdoor venue in Colorado. Um, had a gorgeous photo, mm-hmm. and uh, and you correctly responded, Red Rocks. That is right. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, like you know, following music in college venues is something that I was always kind of fascinated by, and so you know, I felt pretty good about the early part of that category too. Radio City. I just took my kids to the Christmas Spectacular a mm-hmm. couple of years ago, yeah. and then the Royal Albert Hall. I was actually in London with some work I was doing with Google last year and, and got to visit that as well. So both of those fairly timely. And, you know, a lot of those clues really kind of helped with some recent experiences that I've had. So it, mm-hmm. it helped to, to have that relevancy. Yeah. Uh, so moving toward the end of the round, we do get Daily Devil number three. It's pick number 25, the $2,000 clue in historical facts. Bert finds it. He is at 8,400, which is in between Devin's 6,800 and Christina's 9,400. And he wagers 3,000 to try and take the lead. And he gets the clue during the Gladiator or Third Servile War in the 70s BC. This rebel and his forces gained control over most of southern Italy. Bert says, oh, uh, who's Spartacus? And Alex says, kind of forgot you had to give the response. (laughs) Bert says, but I had to think of Kubrick. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But yeah, he gets it correct and jumps up into the lead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I loved I loved seeing him kind of work through that and try and think about it, especially knowing, you know, having ha- had him say that about Kubrick, that he that he thought about it from like a history perspective and got stuck. And then you just saw the light bulb moment where he thought of it as a film question. And I love seeing that kind of that kind of light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that put him in a great spot uh, at the end of the round. And it put me kind of in a hole. And mm-hmm. I was really fortunate to get two more questions at the end of the round in the 21st century black and white movies category mm-hmm. the $1600 clue this spooky director filmed his stop motion animation film Frankenweenie in black and white to emulate classic monster movies Tim Burton and then the $1200 clue the last clue of the round this Bruce Dern movie named for a plain state was in black and white in the theaters but was shown in color on cable that was Nebraska and uh, that brought me to within about 1800 of Burt so at the end of that double Jeopardy round, Bert has 11,400. Devin, you've got 9,600. Christina has 9,400. And we get the final Jeopardy category, foreign words in English. And the clue, the first use of this Spanish term in English was by Wellington, referring to partisans in the Peninsular Wars. 
And Christina wagers 5,600. I'm not quite sure if there's a particular mathematical reason for that er- for that wager. Um, but she, uh, she responds, what is vaqueros? Uh, that's incorrect. Um, Devin, you wager every single dollar you've got. Um, Everything. It's just play money until it's real. And I knew that Bert was a strong mm-hmm. player, so yeah. I wanted to give myself as much chance to, to get where I needed to be. Mm-hmm. And in this case... Christina is right behind you. Um, so if yeah. she were to go all in, you'd want to go almost all in in any case. Yeah. So you need to, I, I would say from a strategic point of view, you want to wager almost everything at least. Um, yeah. I mean, but like I said, like there's you know. no difference between second and third for me. So, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. if I'm going to go, I'm going to go with everything I got. Yep. And you had it correct. What are gorillas? But Bert has it correct as well. He's made a $9,000 wager, um, which is a cover bet. And so he uh, he gets this win and becomes our new champion on Friday. But great game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And great yeah. run And I did not you. feel bad about losing that one at all because I thought a great man did win it. Um, you've by now seen that clip of him explaining to Alex what that win meant to him. Mm-hmm. I saw him bouncing all the way on the other end of the podiums before, you know, my wager was revealed because he knew. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he was ready to let it go. And, you know, the, the reaction that his response has received, I can say now worldwide because that clip has gone super viral. Yeah. Of Bert celebrating. It was genuine. He actually told me that story during lunch. And so I'm really glad that they captured that when he shared that with all of us on set. Um, afterwards because it's just such a beautiful story and it connects with so many people on so many fronts not just you know using the show to learn english but sharing those moments with his grandfather and i think that especially with the timing of of this weekend that resonates even more strongly with people so Mm -hmm. it, it was really humbling to be on set for that moment and you know to play some small role in that with the world um i'm never gonna forget that that was one of the most beautiful things i've ever seen oh yeah for sure so that does bring us to friday and uh you mentioned that you uh the the way they had it once you're (laughs) once you're done you're out right they yeah i signed my prize sheet and i was back on the road to bakersfield so Mm -hmm. um i actually just saw this episode about uh an hour before we started taping here yep so here we are friday november 6th we get the contestant Stephen Jones, uh, a relative of mine, a seventh grade history <laughs> teacher, because we're all related, uh, originally from Portland, Oregon. Andrew Chaikin, a musician and teacher from San Francisco, California. And Bert Thacker, a project engineer from Palm Strings, California, whose one day cash winnings total $20,400. We got the Jeopardy round categories. Did you know? Which I feel like is the entire show, Jeopardy. <laughs> I feel like if the answer is yes, then why am I watching? Right, exactly. Pros <laughs> uh, by bros. Foxes. Let me give you a hand. One word song titles and adverbs, but it is A blank D in quotation marks. I felt that outside of the foxes category, I had a really hard time with this board. Hmm. Mm-hmm. It really like stood out as far as like some connections you really had to labor to make, and I felt more challenged by this episode. So, in a way, I'm kind of glad I didn't make it to this one. <laughs> yeah. I would have gotten eaten alive. Yep, I hear that. <laughs> yeah, 
they re- they revealed the category prose by bros, and I immediately thought of the way that bros is used colloquially in my um, mostly feminist uh, social circles, and I was like, oh yeah, bros, you know, like Hemingway, he's kind of broy. I was going to go pros before and just finish the line yeah. with something real cringy there, but I'm glad they avoided that route. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. No, these were, this was uh, brothers who, who both, both wrote, uh, mm. not, not guys who were bro in the, in the uh, colloquial sense. Modern parlance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we find daily double number one pretty early in the round. It's the sixth pick and Bert finds it. He wagers a thousand. He's at eight hundred at this point. Uh, Andrew has fourteen hundred, and Stephen has six hundred. Oh, I didn't even say where it was. Uh, it's at the thousand dollar level of one word song titles, and he gets the clue. Though quoted, the songwriters of "Eye of the T- the Tiger" didn't get credit on this number one hit by Katy Perry, um, and he knows that is "Roar." Yeah, I like that two thousand clue under "Did You Know." I'm sorry, the 1,000 clue under Did You Know. Snoop mm-hmm. Dogg tried to rent this entire European nation, but <laughs> used and all, for a video shoot. Doable? Yeah, but Snoop didn't get enough notice. <laughs> and the answer was Liechtenstein. Mm-hmm. What would you do with Liechtenstein mm-hmm. if you rented it? And, like, do you have to do it for, is it, like, an hourly raid? Is it by the day? Is it by, like, yeah. what do mm-hmm. you do in Liechtenstein on a rental? Well, you make a music video. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have to sign like a damage waiver, like it's a car? Like, hey, like, if Liechtenstein's not in perfect shape by the time we get back, you have to pay your deductible. Mm-hmm. Are you okay with that? Yep. I don't know. Yeah. That I can't. I cannot fathom that being a reality in my life. Mm-hmm. I tried to. I was trying to remember where Vaduz was. Uh, there aren't that many very tiny European nations to remember, but I. Uh, I couldn't bring it to mind in time. And neither could the contestants. It was a triple stumper. Steven had an interesting response to the $200 clue and let me give you a hand at the end of the round. Things go south when they go here in a handbasket. And he responded, where is hell? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All around us. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. Yeah. Um, So at the end of the Jeopardy round, Steven is in third place at 3,600, so he'll go first. Bert and Andrew are tied at 5,600, and they kind of bow to each other. It was charming. <laughs> you know, I, ha- I saw some people reacting to this online, like, Bert's really sizing up Andrew here, isn't he? Yeah. Like, he keeps turning to him. Um, if you noticed in, in the post game where Bert explains the story about his grandfather, mm-hmm. he actually does turn to his um, left side. To kind of like, almost like as a reaction, like a reflex, mm-hmm. catch himself. I think that's just something he does. Yeah. So like, if you're just on that side of him, he's going to do that to you. Yeah. So I don't think it was anything in that regards. I don't think it was any sort of like posturing or, or, or anything yeah. like that. Um, it's just one of those things that you notice so, like, ooh, what's going on? No, I think it's, that's just the yeah, way that he turns. I think he's, he, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I perceived it as kind of personable, not. Uh, he was not, so, fr- yeah. Yeah. Both of them just like, they're, they're, they're bigger dudes, but they're very friendly and very warm mm-hmm. and kind yeah uh, so we get the double jeopardy round categories u.s history what's the gossip 20th century english they did it go west and young man or woman which turned out to be about tv shows and movies with uh, young versions of of kind of well-known protagonists or figures you know this was a round that absolutely you know i, I feel like there was a, a turning point question I want to say, let me see if I can figure this out. I think it was 
it was between the two daily doubles. It was it, yeah, it was it was middle of the round because I know mm-hmm. that um, Bert got the first uh, the the second the daily double two in U.S. history on the fourth question mm-hmm. of the of the round. Yeah. So daily double two uh, shows up pretty quick. It's at the fourth pick, sixteen hundred dollar level in the U.S. history category. Bert locates it. He was still tied with Andrew at sixty eight hundred, and Stephen was at fifty two hundred. Uh, and Bert wagered 3000 He got the clue. Mm-hmm. This 1794 uprising in Pennsylvania was prompted by attacks on liquor. And he gets it right with the Whiskey Rebellion. It's still pretty close as you progress until you get to a young man or woman for that $2,000 clue. Mm-hmm. This mm-hmm. actor, not Peter Boyle, is the title character in Young Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Bert buzzes in. What is Gene? And he can't recall he can't grab the last name of the actor and he gets timed mm-hmm. out andrew comes in and he hits it with gene wilder right so that's a four thousand dollar swing right there mm-hmm. and i feel like at that point that's when andrew just put the foot on the gas and, yeah. and really here's the thing too about andrew i think one of the things that andrew's not going to get a lot of credit for he's supremely knowledgeable he's got a big hand and if you've ever held that signaling device it, it, it fits a certain way if you have a bigger hand. So I feel like that benefited him because if you could tell mm. by the way he was holding it, he was very relaxed as he was able to buzz in. He had it held in his grip but face down so that he could respond very quickly, very relaxed. Mm-hmm. Um, you could tell he felt in his element and he just steamrolled the rest of the way there. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you look at the the game dynamics graph on uh, on the J archive, yeah, he just takes off from there. He just, oh, just yeah. diagonal line right up. Yep. That uh, Gene Wilder clue brought to mind for me andrew might have just known gene wilder cold maybe he tried to get in first i don't know but a thing can happen if you say part of the correct response but can't bring the rest to mind where your partial correct response triggers a full correct response from somebody else that maybe they wouldn't have gotten you know and you have to uh it is it is wise to be strategic about whether you're going to go ahead and say a partial response if you if you don't have the second half of that response in mind because it can kind of give somebody a little bit of an assist um if they I feel like I feel like with Andrew's Hollywood knowledge he yeah. was going to get that because I he also he was, nailed yeah. a gossip columnist question about Hollywood in mm-hmm. the what's the oh, gossip yeah. category that uh, famous feuding gossip columnist in the golden age of Hollywood were Luella Parsons and this alliterative lady. Andrew was right on that with Hedda Hedda Hopper. Hopper. Alex was really impressed Mm -hmm. with that one. So That was obscure. I feel like, yeah, that was, so if you know Hedda Hopper, you know that Gene Wilder was the Yeah, he knew Gene Wilder. Yeah, he also had, um, that at the $2,000 level of They Did It, um, wrote The Normal Heart and fought for AIDS research. Uh, That's Larry Kramer. That's another, you know, it's an, it's not a, an especially well-known name, but he was right there. Really impressive performance from Andrew. Um, so we get Daily Double number three at the 29th pick of the round. It's at the $1,600 level of Go West. And of course, Andrew finds it because Andrew has just been on a tear. He wagers just 1000 um, he's got 23,600, um, with Steven at 10,800 and Bert at 9,800. So Andrew is looking to not risk his lock here. And he gets the clue, drive west from Maseru, capital of this country, and you arrive in South Africa. Heck, drive east and you'll end up there as well. <laughs> um, and he, uh, he responded, he said, he pronounced it Lesotho, which, you know, is a fine 
pronunciation if you've just read it. Uh, Lesotho, Alex corrects him, is the correct mm. pronunciation. Yeah, it's that it's that little enclave country within South Africa. Um, and then Swaziland is kind of up a little bit and another little bitty country, but I think borders, gosh, what else does Swaziland border? Um, but yeah, Lesotho, Lesotho is the one that's right in, uh, in the middle of South Africa there. Yeah. It's not actually Swaziland anymore. Right. Uh, Eswatini. No. Sorry. Mm-hmm. That's right. Mm-hmm. It's the only country in the world that starts with a lowercase letter. Yep. And it borders yep. Mozambique. Yep. Yes. That's right. Yeah. I, I totally knew that they'd changed their name, but I learned it in a Swaziland at some point and um, uh, still kind of surfaces from time sure. to time. Sorry. Yeah. Well, you don't have to apologize to me. You just have to apologize to the entire country of Eswatini. The people so. of Eswatini. I apologize. <laughs> All of the listeners we have there. <laughs> All right. Um, so, yeah, at the end of the double Jeopardy round, Andrew is has locked it out easily at 24,600. Steven's at 10,800. And Bert is at 9,800. They get the final Jeopardy category, fairy tale characters. And the clue, in French, this fairy tale character is La Petite Poussette. In Spanish, Pulgarcita. And in English, this. This was a triple stumper, which does not surprise me because I was not going to get it. But I got it. Of course you did. Because <laughs> you know languages. Um <laughs> Alex informs us that the French word for thumb is pouce. Bert bet it all, because, I mean, it's a lock game. You might as well. Wrote, who is the little duck? That is incorrect. Stephen wagered only 9,000 and wrote, who is Puss in Boots? Then crossed it off and began hopefully writing the little prince. Uh, He only got the little P out, um, which sounds funny to say. (laughs) Uh, That is also incorrect. And Andrew wagered 2,999 and guessed who's a little mermaid, but it is Thumbelina. Mm -hmm. Thumbelina. Uh, But, you know, it didn't matter anyway if it was a triple stumper or not because Andrew had it locked. So he is the winner going into next week. Mm -hmm. I'm excited to see if he's going to be able to bring that level of play um, to future games. Quite a double Jeopardy round. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show. Uh, you know, we mentioned at the beginning it was going to be a little bit different. Um, you know, no deep dive this week, but uh, we will bring you one next week. Mm-hmm. And uh, at this time, we this is this is we say normally the time, but I guess this is normally the time we encourage you to donate to some uh, organization or another. And you still can. The election is over, but that doesn't mean much yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um. It means things will change, hopefully, in the future, but that hasn't happened, obviously, yet. So uh, we still encourage you to check out social justice uh, organizations in your community and in the nation. Uh, We highlight communityjusticeexchange.org and blacklivesmatter.com. You can do something there. It is not fixed just because Mm -hmm. some people got elected. We have more work to do. Let's keep that in mind. And uh, I, I don't know what to say. As far as the passing of Alex Trebek, other than I I think probably all of us kind of understand, you know, Mm -hmm. I think we're all in in pretty much the same place. Given what I have seen from everyone in the Jeopardy community, I think I think Mm -hmm. we all have a common understanding. Yeah. Lots of love and prayers to his family. And what we've heard is that uh, Alex Trebek has taped episodes through December 25th. 
So we, uh, we, we've said goodbye to him, but we'll be, we'll be watching those, which they, um, which they'd already taped, um, up until Christmas. So, and then we'll see what comes after that. Yep. And, uh, thank you, Devin. Sorry about that, like, super downer, but thank you, Devin, for being here. It was so no, great to have you on. There, you know, it, it, and it, I really appreciate the opportunity to kind of share and reflect on this week, you know, of of all weeks, <laughs> to be a part of this one. And, and it, it really is surreal. You have everything with COVID that took place during the tapings, and then you have the, the layer of the presidential elections happening this week and all the preemptions. You mm-hmm. know, my episodes got preempted four times for three episodes. That's mm. got to be some sort of a record. <laughs> you know, some got slid down a day, so I have people on the East Coast that are on a different time universe than everybody here in california so it was like living in two different places at once doing all these watch parties getting everybody on but seeing everybody reach out and connect with me was great and all those same people reached out to me to check and see if i was okay after hearing about alex's passing Mm -hmm. as if it was a member of my family and i thought that was really curious and then i realized they're reaching out to me as if it was a member of my family because they felt like it was a member of their family Mm -hmm. um so many people have stories like bert's that resonates so deeply and help them understand the world a little bit better beyond what was accessible to them through this show, through modeling reading by having a regular um, leader of diction and a pacing on a nightly basis. You know, there's a lot of research that shows that that model of just listening to somebody read the words that are in front of you is going to help you read more. His impact on literacy, I don't think is measurable, as well as just the the normalcy and the routine and the comfort for validating, you know, the truth in the world Mm -hmm. in a way that was um, warm and dry and, you know, approachable and acceptable for so many people in a time where truth really does need to matter so much. And yeah. I think to for, for any of us who are former contestants, I, I think that's kind of the role that we play is kind of the conduit for the grief that so many people are feeling right now. And mm-hmm. I, I am, yeah, I'm sure you guys are too. Uh, I am eternally grateful for the opportunity to share that set with him just for that brief moment in time especially through this lens of history right now and i i don't think that's something i'm ever going to be able to forget it's been one of the most memorable weeks of of my life and and i'm just grateful for the opportunity to share that with you and and all your listeners so thank you absolutely well thank you and uh speaking of thanks thanks listeners for being with us um make sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts it would help us if you could leave a review and or a rating as well if you want to check out our patreon it's there for you potent potables uh we're on facebook at potent potables we're on twitter at potent potables one our webpage is potentpod.com and you can email us at potentpodablescast at gmail.com and uh, we'll be back next week with another week of Jeopardy recaps and a deep dive. And until then, may your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker. Mm-hmm.